0: Angelo Giuliano is a great friend of the show. We've spoken to him many times before. He's a political and financial analyst and long-time resident of China. And he joins us now at an unearthly hour. Angelo, I'm really grateful to you uh, for that. Uh, We've got a poll running. Uh, The West is being hypocritical in condemning China's COVID lockdown policies. On Twitter, 93% say yes, they are being hypocritical. On YouTube, 93%. And on Telegram, 95%. So the hypocrisy isn't working. How does it look to you in China?
1: Well, it's very interesting. I get, uh, I'm get i here on the ground. And I'm going to give you the scale of the protests uh, that made the headlines all around the world if you ask average Joe in China, you ask, did you see the protest? They will say, what? What protest? What are you talking about? Uh, I'm going to give you some figures and uh, keep in mind that uh, China has 1.4 billion people. The protest uh, last Saturday, the largest protest in all around China, the total was probably around 10,000 people protested in the street peacefully. For a country of 1.4 billion people i'm going to give you i'm going to compare to what we had in switzerland in switzerland a country that is two hundred times smaller than china we had a hundred thousand people going to the streets because of covid protests so uh the, in scales you know if you compare we are talking about uh protests two thousand times less than what we had in Switzerland. So it's a very tiny minority. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean that some people uh, are discontent, are tired of COVID lockdown. Uh to be honest, I'm I'm I do not agree with the zero COVID policy. Uh I'm against vaccines as well. But the question is uh do the Chinese government need to please me or need to please the Chinese? And right now, at this present moment, there is still a majority of people in China that agree with the government. You need also to keep in mind that we are uh, China is basically in a hybrid war against the collective West. China has been attacked, has been attacked on many, many different fronts. In Xinjiang, terrorists have been financed by the U.S for uh, separatist, uh, uh, you know, uh, they've been financing separatist and terrorist groups, actually, in Xinjiang. They've been funding uh, separatist groups in Hong Kong. We had two attempts of color revolution in Hong Kong. And also, very important, China is very afraid of potential bio-warfare. You saw recently in Ukraine, we discovered there were lots of bio labs. Uh, what those bio labs are trying to do is to uh, find some virus that actually would match a certain DNA. Well, uh, uh, COVID-19 is not the first time that China has such problem. Remember in 2003, China had SARS. SARS, the spread was not as wide as COVID-19, but the rate mortality rate was 11%. So China is very, very afraid. So when you look from outside, it seems like irrational. Why would they go through such pain to contain a, a virus that actually is no worse than the flu? Well, there are more reasons. And Chinese people they believe in their government because you know it's it's a very capable government, and they know that uh, it's it's ultimately to save people, to save life. But maybe there is also some reasons are that are related to bio warfare, so important uh, there's also something uh, so very, very important that people need to understand that what happened in in China you uh, there is the foreign hands behind some protest here uh, it's uh, somehow an attempt of color revolution. How do color revolution start? Usually, they start with the legitimate grievances uh, this hijacked legitimate movement. So when you look at what happened in Shanghai, there were some telegram channels, which, by the way, those telegram channels, they were open in October already. Some telegram channels were actually monitoring the protest. If you look at who was in those telegram channels, you had all the, the, the major Western news. You had CNN. You had Radio Free Asia. You had the New York Times. You had the sect Falun Gong, which is financed by USAGM, propaganda arm of the US. And very important, the people managing those Telegram channels were all Chinese living outside China, and actually also a prominent uh, dissident. That was actually part of the 1989 color revolution attempt in Beijing, Tiananmen Square. Which is uh, who's financed by some she, she, some uh, some NGOs. So you see, they were taking uh, those well, protests in Shanghai. They were taking orders from outside China. So very, very important. They are well. Them, that's let, pretty, me, let let
0: me let me wind that back because that's quite significant uh, news that you're bringing us. You're saying that one of the people organising the Shanghai protests, which, as you said, uh, reached around 10,000 people across the whole of China, uh, one of the organisers was one of the organisers of the Tiananmen Square events. Who is this person and where are they?
1: Uh, while we are talking, I think it's uh, Shoufeng Zhang, I'm going to get you the name. I, I don't have it. One second. Uh, Joe Fensor. I have a, I have his bio right here. Uh, Joe Fenso was a key student leader who helped organize the great democratic movement in Tiananmen Square. Well, keep in mind, it was nothing about democracy there. You know, there were savages. Uh, 300 people died in reality in, in Tiananmen. Uh, actually nobody died in Tiananmen Square, but in Beijing that during that period, 300 people died. But half of them, 150 soldiers and policemen, were beaten to death. Some were even burned to burned to death. You know, so those are the real information about what happened back then. But this is one of the first color revolutions that we experienced. Uh, so you see those people. Are, uh, maybe in other places, in in uh, uh, outside Shanghai, more inside in third uh, third uh, uh, cities. Uh, they were probably, you know, uh, organic uh, protest. But the scale, the scale for a country of 1.4 billion people, it was maximum 10,000 people protesting in 50 different cities. In some cases, in one city, you had only two or three protesters. That's how big it was. And uh,
0: w- w- let me ask this. Why are the Chinese government so firm uh, about lockdown. Um, they presumably pray in aid that only 5,000 people or so have died from COVID in China as compared to well over a million in the United States and countries like Britain and France and Italy and so on. Also, huge uh, death tolls. Are they still as resolute and committed to the current policy, the policy they followed from the beginning? Or is there any crack appearing in intellectual circles, in political circles, about whether the cost of these lockdowns in economic terms and in terms of opportunity cost, money spent on uh, COVID cannot be spent on cancer, uh, and on the mental health of the people, uh, of being continually tested, continually locked down.
1: Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, if, uh, uh, in early, in the early days of COVID-19, the mortality rate was higher. If, uh, you were to take the rates that we had in the US, uh, uh for population of China would be 5 million people dying. And this would have been unacceptable. For Chinese, uh, the, the responsibility of the government is to protect their people. But now, after three years, uh, there's a, a frustration. People, uh, do want to open up and the government has listened. Uh, the, the last two days, they're actually starting to relax the, the zero COVID policies. And I think they are gradually getting out of this, uh, I think it's absurd, it is an, an absurd policy, but they might have uh, uh, other reasons, uh, but they want to go slowly because they're. Uh, it seems like they're, they're unprepared for a big wave all at once, you know, just the capacity, hospital capacity is not there yet. And, and keep in mind that they haven't forced people to take vac- vaccines. So, you know, they, they worried that, especially for the older people, that, uh, this would be a heavy cost to pay. And just, uh, they have a different concept of life and, and, and people's protection. Uh, they look at society as a whole. Uh, it's less individualistic. So this is why they've been so compliant when it comes to a zero COVID policy, but things are changing and the government is listening. Uh, it's going to relax. And China is going to open up.
0: Now, there's been some good news for China this week. Uh, The uh, government in Taiwan, uh, widely held to be an instrument of the United States anti-China policy uh, and harboring separatist ambitions, was roundly defeated in the local elections. In Taiwan and the KMT Kuomintang the traditional founders of Taiwan who whatever else you can say about them are Chinese nationalists they don't believe that Taiwan is a separate country from China they had a very significant victory tell us about that
1: uh, let me give you first the background of Tsai Ing-wen Tsai Ing-wen was actually selected by the US uh, already back in 2004 she was, uh, according to uh, some WikiLeaks cables, she was having secret meetings with AIT, which is the American Institute of Taiwan, which is, by the way, the de facto U.S. Embassy in Taiwan. So she's been working very closely with the U.S. Embassy there. And so they selected her and actually they groomed her and they, they made sure that she would be, you know, on the, on, on the front for being elected. So she is the replica for Taiwan. She's the replica of what you have, uh, Zelensky in Ukraine. Exactly the same. Uh, why, you know, because, because for 15 years she's been actually reporting to the U.S. Embassy. Just, just make some research, you know, WikiLeaks, Taiwan, and you will see she had secret meetings already back then. So this is for the background. Now she's been elected in, uh, 2000, uh, 20, why she was elected? It's because there was the, the the attempt of color revolution in Hong Kong. So they they, they started massively those those riots there, uh, and the the support she had back then, just before the riots in Hong Kong, was 35%. After the riots, she went up to 60%. She, she was not popular on the first place, but she won because of fear mongering about china now she's been ruling for a while and people are very unhappy why because she's been the she's been focusing too much on creating tensions uh with their major trading economic partner because taiwan is actually de facto reunited with the mainland 50 percent of import and export of taiwan is with the mainland so it's de facto reunited with taiwan uh also one more thing is that you have also two million Taiwanese that work in the mainland. So you have very, very deep connections. So she's being dividing Taiwan and the mainland, and people realize that you know you are supposed to work for well being and you focusing too much on geopolitics. Uh so this uh, the vote you had uh last weekend was clearly a vote of no confidence. My biggest fear is that we are in 2024, when we are going to, they are going to re-elect another president. Well, they are going, that they might do the same as they did in 2020, uh, start creating some clashes between mainland China and Taiwan and that you would have actually again talks, you know, the fear mongering talks. To, to push Taiwanese to vote more for pro-independence. And keep in mind, there's a, uh, why people are so much, uh, uh anti-China whenever they hear China, this China bad, you know. Uh, there was a bill passed by the Congress on negative, uh, $500 million per year on negative coverage on China. Just think for one second, how much can you do with that money to manipulate the masses? You know, manufacture consent. Uh, it's massive the bad coverage you're having about China. But again, you know, you have deep cop pockets institutions that actually this is the, the 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 position of a loser. Why don't you fight China with you know normal means, trade, you know, uh, competition? Uh, there are other ways, you know, when you, when you are playing sports, why, why would you be, uh, go against the rule, uh, just to, to, you know, kill your adversary and, 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 and somehow just to be on the front? Uh, you know, uh, paying for bad coverage of your opponent. Well, uh, uh, Angelo, uh,
0: yeah, Angelo, let me, as you brought up sport, let me go left field on you. I'm looking at the World Cup. I'm seeing all kinds of countries, some of them absolutely tiny. Uruguay, for example, a population of 3.5 million, uh, only half of whom are men. Uh, so 1.75 uh, uh, million men, and they're in the World Cup finals every single time. In fact, they've won it twice. I see other small countries like Wales, uh, for example, and many others. Uh, where is China? Why is China not in the World Cup? Why are they not better at football than they currently appear to be?
1: Well, it is not a traditional sport in China. China has been going to football only uh, recently. China, they are good in other other sports. It's just it's just not what they do. I I you know I, I'm Italian. I grew up in Switzerland. I started playing football in the street since I was five years old. You know, that's what you do. Uh, in China, what they start, the first sport they start playing are not. It's not football. You know, maybe maybe they might have some interest when they go to high school, but it's not like something which is deep in our know, culture. In Europe, you know, in some countries like Italy, Spain, we, you know, we we play, we breathe soccer. You know, that, that's that's for a lot of kids. That's their lives. Uh, for China, you know, they like watching footballs, but it's not, it's not uh, a sport which, you know, historically China has, hasn't been much into sport, into into uh, football. Mm-hmm. But it's getting very popular now. You have kids studying early, uh, and, and probably we might we might see China getting better at football in the future.
0: Well, I, I hope so, uh, Angelo. It's a pleasure as always talking to you. You've set
1: us right on a number of things. And I'm grateful to you for it.